0: The Beatles with Blackbird, a song
1: McCartney claims was inspired by Bach's Bore in E minor, recorded back in 1968 in Abbey Road's Studio 2. And that brings us up to 10 o'clock.
2: T News on Radio 1 at 10 o'clock with John Finerty. A very good morning to you. An independent disciplinary panel of experts convened by Sport Ireland is expected to hear an appeal by Irish boxer Michael O'Reilly against a provisional ban for failing a drugs test ahead of the Rio Olympics. The panel is expected to be convened early next week. The appeal is likely to be heard in Dublin with the 23-year-old middleweight expected to give evidence via Skype from Rio de Janeiro. As the second day of competition at the Rio Games is due to get underway, athletics is facing new allegations of doping. It follows a report in the Sunday Times newspaper that Kenya's track and field team manager was secretly filmed earlier this year, offering to warn athletes ahead of a visit by drugs-testing authorities in exchange for a bribe. He's said to deny any wrongdoing, but the newspaper claims he's been ordered to return home to face an investigation by the sport's governing body in his country. Voters in Thailand are casting their ballots in a referendum on a new constitution put forward by the military government which seized power two years ago. Critics say the proposed constitution would entrench the power of the military and limit the power of elected governments by giving a huge amount of oversight to non-elected bodies. Gordy in Dublin recovered two firearms, ammunition and a stolen car during an operation in Finglas yesterday afternoon. The find was made after Gordy, patrolling the area, searched an unoccupied car on Casement Avenue. It emerged that the vehicle had been stolen two weeks ago. And now the weather.
3: RTE Radio 1 weather with Aer Lingus. With over a 100 routes throughout Europe, including Faro, Malaga, and Barcelona, when Smart
2: wants choice, Smart flies Aer Lingus. A windy day, but mostly dry this morning with sunshine in places. Scattered outbreaks of rain in the northwest early this afternoon will spread to the rest of the country. Highest temperature 17 to 22 degrees, warmest in the southeast. There's a warning that southwest winds will reach gale force today on coasts from Sly Nine head to Rahsaan point to Fairhead. That's all for now. Next news at 11.
1: Now here on RTE Radio 1 this Sunday morning, it's time to join the second captains.
2: I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So he's
4: almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first cabin, whatever. I never got on those, those those boys.
1: Good morning and welcome to Second Captain Sunday. i am Mike Devitt here with Murph. Hello there on and Ken. Hi On. how are you? I'm pretty good. You join us in the middle of the biggest global sporting event on the planet in 2016. The excitement is palpable, the tension is mounting as the country and the world waits to see the latest drama. In the race to become Ireland's greatest ever non-sports person, sports person. Nicely played on. Thank you, Karen. I know you like those. So <laughs> Taking his best shot today is an actor who played the most memorable character in one of the most iconic shows in the history of Irish television. Fran from Love Hate. Peter Coonan will be right here in studio in a few minutes' time. Yeah, that's the, that's the man. There's also the small matter of the Olympic Games in Rio. So we're going to chat to one of our all-time greats, a silver medalist in Sydney 2000, Sonia Sullivan. We'll be on a little bit later on. And with our boxers in action for the first time later today, one of our favourite fighters and Athens Olympian Andy Lee will join us too. Heartbreak for Kieran Bean if people stayed up late last night. You yeah. might have seen him. He dislocated his knee during his final exercise in the gymnastics. Very early on apparently in the routine. Early on in the, in the final routine and he yeah. finished out the routine with a dislocated knee <sighs> but failed to qualify unsurprisingly at that point. The men's hockey team, they lost narrowly to India. Sunita Persper did qualify for the rowing quarterfinal so that went well. But one event that has really caught your eye so far this week, I know. No oh, Ken, it's also in the water. It is, of course, Orlando Bloom, paddleboarding, butt naked, bold as brass for the world to see. It's been all over the internet in the last few days. <laughs> the the your, your way you're looking at me
4: there, this has really caught your eye. Yeah. I think it's kind of seemed to capture the planet's imagination. Well, once you saw it, I mean, you, you, you couldn't unsee it. It was one of those kind of images, right? Uh, no, uh, absolutely not. I mean, uh, and, uh, I mean shocking images. Hmm. Uh, the world um, pretty much agog. Uh, nobody really sure what to think of it. Is this sexist? Mm. Is, it, is, it, is, it a, is it an example of, of hypocrisy that, we, that there are all of these women women usually objectified by these, in these sorts of shots? Suddenly the tables are turned and, um, and we get a glimpse into the dark art of uh, human nature yet again. Murph, give us the
1: very latest, please, on the current Second Captain Sunday, This Sporting Life leaderboard
2: could have been a contender I could have been somebody
0: So Gabby Logan is endeavouring to go wire to wire on as our first guest remains on top of our This Sporting Life leaderboard on 88 sweet, sweet points awarded across our three categories as we all know by now of course of personal sport highlight overall sporting ability and current sports knowledge David O'Doherty is next on 85 points last week's guest Des Bishop is third on 77 points with Lenny Abrahamson bringing up the rear on 70 so if 70 points equals respectability and 80 points equals sports godlike status can Peter Coonan enter the pantheon this morning or will
1: he be satisfied
0: with just being able to look his old PE teacher in the eye that is the question (laughs) on
1: I enjoyed Ken highbrow reaction to the Orlando Bloom story but I mean he's just looking for more work really he's angling
4: for more work <laughs> You know he's done it, he's done it again evening. there are, more, there the are more pictures there is are <laughs> He's he paddleboarding again? There's no paddleboard in this one but he is in Sardinia again being long he's mm. frolicking free on the beach and why shouldn't he?
0: Yeah I mean quite frankly uh, you know it's how you come into the world you know
1: there's and It's how you spend quite a lot
4: Let's of time Let's
0: just say I'm not
1: going to be too surprised to see him landing some some big roles, major major, major six roles, six months to a year. Well, I think you know. At the end of the day, it's he's been caught now once.
0: So what's what's the point in him ever wearing clothes ever again? <laughs> this
1: is his thing now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, you know, who, who cares? The damage is done on Peter Coonan. If who plays, indeed, it was damage.
1: Yeah, Peter Coonan, who plays Fran and Love Hate, of course, will attempt to make a breakthrough this morning on this sporting life, as you mentioned. Murphy's the first actor we've had on the show, so I think Ken this is a pretty good time to tell the radio one audience about your own experience treading the boards. Some people may have heard a little bit about this. A lot of people, though, they won't actually know that you were once an actor.
4: Well, I was. Um, I, um, I was an actor, I was six years old, and I was in, uh, we were doing Sleeping Beauty in school. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you look at Sleeping Beauty, the, the problem with it is, or maybe the advantage of it from a school point of view, is that there are really only three characters in it. <laughs> the beautiful princess, the handsome prince, and the evil fairy. <laughs> um, so there's about 35 kids who don't have a part. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that... Uh, you were the handsome prince? No, I was a tree. Oh. <laughs> um, so I went home to my dad and I said, listen, dad, uh, I'm a tree. You have to make me a tree costume. <laughs> so he said, okay. Uh, and he started assembling all these materials and, you know, like a Pampers boxes and sort of heavy cardboard cylinders. And oh, he really went all out? He was working away, you know, into the night. Uh, and eventually I came down the next day and, and to find this finished cost, costume, which was like a, he, he made the Pampers boxes into a kind of a c- cylinder, which I was in. And then he'd cut holes for these kind of heavy like poster tubes. You know, they were my yeah. branches. I put my arms on them. It was quite, quite a struggle. Imagine a heavy suit of cardboard armor, <laughs> um, you know, which, which I was kind of wearing. I couldn't really move. I could only kind of clump, but in a very limited way. Um, Did I really look like a tree? I kind of looked like a 1980s, a heavy 1980s robot in sort of woodland camouflage. (laughs) But but that was okay until I got into the school. And that was when I saw that all of the other trees had, the the costume was basically a brown tracksuit with like green leaves stuck in it. (laughs) And so, and the idea was that the Enchanted Forest was supposed to actually run and dance around uh, and all of the other uh, children there was just this impression of litheness and youth and freedom to their movement hulking
0: superstructure I think. was
4: entombed in this uh, <laughs> cardboard sarcophagus and and you know unable to move um, but the teacher came up with the creative um, stroke of why things as you are the the biggest and, in some ways, best tree. Of course. Why don't you stand in the middle? Uh, The beautiful princess can sort of sleep at at the foot of the tree that you are. (laughs) The enchanted forest can sort of dance around you like that. Uh, and so that's what happened. So I was kind of standing there. I just looked like a piece of this set. I mean, nobody would have known that there was an actor in there. Uh, to this day, on the side of people dancing, makes me feel sad. <laughs> All
1: right, very you any embarrassing? I don't know if you've got anything quite as embarrassing as that, but if you do have any experiences on stage, like poor Ken here, that you'd like to share, drop us a text on 51551. You can email them to secondcaptains at rt.ie, tweet at secondcaptains. Peter Coonan is coming right up. This is Second Captain Sunday.
5: There were blue skies in my city today your way
1: Yeah, that's Blur and Under the Westway, their love song to their home city of London ahead of the 2012 Olympics. More on Rio later on, but we have been talking about Orlando Bloom's impact on the internet this week. So we should mention that our guest this morning, Peter Coonan here, has a bit of a history in that score himself. No, he wasn't pictured paddleboarding up the Liffey Murph, <laughs> but he has gone fully in the nip during Borsal Boy at the Gaty. Those pictures haven't surfaced on the internet yet, Peter?
3: No, not yet. No, was, no, no. Was
0: there, uh, you know, a sort of uh, public service announcement beforehand, no photographs? I, I'm I'm interested to know what, from an actor's perspective, how anxious you are that an announcement like that be made. Well,
3: the, like the announcement was just keep clear, be very far back of Peter Coonan because you could be injured. Um, no, no, none of that. It was just quite daunting to do it, to be honest, in the gallery in front of a thousand people. <laughs> uh, it's not Sunday morning talk. You've heard Ken's horror story
1: of his uh, brief career as a child actor in Sleeping Beauty. Have you got any similarly
3: horrific experiences on stage as a kid? Um, I played Molly Malone in school when I was like <laughs> 10, 9 or 10. Right. Just because no one else would. Is that a, is that a play? I mean. No, it's not a play. I can't remember what it was. We had this like crazy drama teacher who just came in and was. there was a song or something. Like they were like really dressed up as an hell one and um, like sing Molly Malone or do something. So I did it. Yeah, it because obviously she's
0: yeah. a fictional character, but I don't remember the actual piece of fiction in which he was. I mean, it's just, it's a, just, song. Song, it's just a song. A that's it, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But you can
3: make a story out of it, you know? Use, use the imagination. Yeah. She wheeled. She worked me. and she died. Mm-hmm. She worked and she died. Worked too hard. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to reveal it myself early on,
1: but now that, in the interest of full disclosure here, I did play the Virgin Mary in a school nativity play when I was about seven or eight.
0: It's uh, one, see, one of the I three main pre- roles. <laughs> I mean, I know <laughs> what you might plan well, to do It was a
1: boys' school, right? So what happened was, Essentially the teacher said Look who wants to play uh, Joseph here And everybody yeah. puts their hand up And it's so like they said Okay okay But if you don't get Joseph One of you's going to have to Play Mary So only two hands remained up Myself and another brave young oh, soul You rolled the dice I rolled the dice And I came up Mary uh, Apparently According to my cousin Who likes to tell the story To this day And my mother who was there To witness it as well I came out pretty grumpy I had my sort of blue shawl on, blue kind of blanket, pretty grumpy, and I spent most of my time throwing the baby Jesus around with abandon to show
3: my displeasure. But I got through it anyway. A team team player.
1: A team team player. You did get into acting from a very early age though, right?
3: Yeah, I started when I was about four or five. I started going to a drama school uh, called Anne Cavanagh out in Ratfarnham every Saturday. And then we do like a show at the end of the year in the Rupert Guinness Theatre, which is now... um, closed down just across from uh, St James's Gate on Thomas Street. Um so that was great. Yeah, that's where I began for for many years and did my feshes and my um exams and all that kind of stuff and uh it was something I thoroughly enjoyed, you know.
1: That's really young. Did you at the when you were first doing it did it feel like something that you really wanted to do or was it something that you were kind of
3: pushed into a little bit? No, it was just one of those things that you start and you don't remember starting it. It yeah. was just a part of what you did. You went you played Did soccer training on a Tuesday, and then you went there on a Saturday after your soccer match or something, you know. And it was just part of our fabric, you know, Uh, myself and my brother as well. So I suppose when I got about 10 or 11 or 12, and we were doing big shows at the end of the year, I started to really, really enjoy it more and more the actual kind of camaraderie side of it, you know, where you'd be doing shows with older kids. And Andrew Scott was involved in, in them as well, and he was older, so he'd be looking up to people like that. And kind of when I got into like when I was in Closhtown, like 15, 16 then, you know, it wasn't as cool anymore to say, like, I'm going to drama. <laughs> 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 so I was out of that then and get on the, try and get on the senior team, uh, yeah. the senior hurling team, uh, or else miss training and go out to Red anymore or stay and
1: hurl. Well, take us back to, uh, I remember when you won the IFTA and you dedicated the award to your mum who passed away when you were very young, you were 12, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she, she was obviously a big driving force behind that, behind the acting.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, she she was hugely involved in amateur uh, dramatics. She was um, the first Irish woman to play Liza Minnelli's role in Cabaret here in Ireland. Wow. But um, yeah, she started. She was like a model and an actress, and then I suppose she had kids and kind of took it on um, from an amateur uh, side of things. And just absolutely adored. And was a fine actress. And I'd grow up kind of reading plays with her while she was learning lines. I'd be reading the other lines. And um, yeah, it was it was it was it was a big connection between between us, you know, that we had. And my brother had it as well with her. But I suppose I kind of had that little bit more of an interest in it.
1: How did she approach it? Was she gently encouraging? Was she, did she offer critiques? And Obviously, you were quite young at
3: this time. Yeah, no, I have a kind of a very uh, lasting memory. I was doing... Um, the Fesh Matthew we were doing a piece from Blood Brothers myself and Sean Flanagan who's now um, one of the trio of Foil Arms and Hog and I was on the way up uh, driving up uh, towards Thomas Street where the Fesh Matthew Hall was and I was nervous as hell like I felt sick to my stomach I was in the back of the car and I was just kind of going I can't do this mum this is not going to happen today I was like please just like let's turn around I'll go home I can't be doing this I feel too sick and she pulled the car over in the middle of the road got out of the car said right that's it go on I was like what (laughs) what do you mean she's like get out if you're not nervous you're in the wrong business so I was like okay 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 I'll get back in and we got back in and did very well so those kind of things yeah she was encouraging but she was very encouraging she knew how much I enjoyed it and um I suppose it's always stayed with me, you know, That when I decided to get back into it then, in later life, you know, it was uh, it's still a, quite a kind of a deep connection to her, you know. In what way? How did
1: you get back into it?
3: Well, I, I i was in UCD, I kind of, you know, faffed about for a number of years, and it was after the 2006 uh, World Cup. So the World Cup had finished, I was repeating exams. There's I, always a void, isn't there? There's always <laughs> a void. And then there was a gap, and someone rang me to do a play, I said, you had two weeks to, to play this part, and I kind of said, you know what, I've been waiting for something like this, so I said, I'll do it. So I was rehearsing for about a week and my dad turns to me and says, what what are you doing, what play are you doing? Because he'd have an interest in in theatre as well. And I said, it's a Terence Ratkin play called Call Celebra And he goes, oh Jesus, no. He goes, I think your mother did that play. And I said, go upstairs and I'll have a look in the wardrobe up there and see if you can find a play. I think it's there. So I did, I went up and I found it. And to my surprise, I was playing the character of a young man who comes to work uh, as an aide in a house of a wealthy family and ends up having an affair with the the, the lady of the house. And subsequently, my mother had played the part of the woman. So pretty much every scene I had, the woman's part was highlighted by my mother and notes beside it. So that was kind of a... Wow. Kind of a deep kind of connection it to is, say. It is, it's pretty powerful, yeah. Stop doing economics and information studies and... Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but even that idea that she's annotated the script for you, is quite, it's, an, it's an amazing connection that you would have.
3: Yeah, and it went on then after that. I did A View from the Bridge in the Gate last year and I used her script because she had played the mother in it and then I did Juno at the start of this year and she had there's her script again she played Mrs Madigan. So it's constantly there. You know, so that kind of initial one was a reminder of, to kind of say, because I would have probably, if I had, if she'd been live, I might have gone straight to acting, but then I mightn't have ended up in love age. You know, I might have ended up going to Australia and missed a chance, but, um, so.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's obviously a reminder. Maybe a reminder of why you loved it in the first place, because a lot of people, especially if you're doing something from so young, you know, you're four or five years of age, you're doing it until you're, say, 16. And I asked you earlier, did you enjoy it? But you never remember, you hadn't remembered a time before before you started doing it so I wonder at that stage when you picked it back up with that amazing powerful moment did did you realise hang on this is something that I really deeply love to do
3: yeah I think I think that's what it was and I think maybe if I had gone to college to to study it that I might have ended up kind of resenting it mm. in some way just becomes a yeah. job so yeah I think definitely there was a, there was something there that kind of made me go Jesus you know what like this is I this is something I love more than anything I've done before, you yeah, know, obviously, the football and everything else. you'd like to do that professionally, but like that's
1: oh, don't worry, we'll get to that, yeah, we yeah. will
3: get to that but uh, yeah, I'm so ready. yeah, it was definitely something that kind of clicked at that point, and then between the canals came along, and do you know, I mean my allies saying that like hearing me get leaving the house at five in the morning to go off and shoot like for a whole day that, you know it was the first time you ever saw me kind of taking something that seriously, and then I kind of you know. Fa came along, which was a game breaker when um, you said your mother said if you' if you're not nervous, you're in the wrong business. Do you still
4: feel nervous before you start to work?
3: Yeah, I mean I suppose I, when you're actually in rehearsals, I still get like I got remember getting the fear. Pretty badly for when I was playing uh, David Drum in the Guarantee. It was quite daunting playing someone that was alive, you know, and that 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 there was actually actual tapes there that you could listen to. So I remember kind of coming home to Kim and saying, "Ah, oh, I, I just don't know," you know. I'm sure there's someone out there that could do this better than I could, you know. Mm. And you kind of sometimes I feel you have to have those moments to then kind of, like, you know, because the next day I remember waking up and I was I was full of gusto and ready to go. Like you know, I can do this. I can definitely do this, you know. So I think you have those moments of fear and nerves, but they're only they, they are good, you know. They make they make you kind of assess what you're doing and, and actually kind of question if you think you really can do it and if you can you've got to work that a little bit more you know and that happens in it happens in theatre a lot because you're kind of in a production with incredible actors and you're kind of going God am I in over my depth here When you're
4: inventing a character I mean you've invented you invented an amazing character in Love Hate um, I mean where where does it come from though I mean it's, it's like such a vivid kind of personality as, as Fran I just wonder who is. Are you looking at different people in your life? Are you taking things from from people that you know, or or is it just something that wells up from within you?
3: It well, I suppose initially it's Stuart Carlin who wrote the script. You know, a, a lot goes down to what he what he had written. But I suppose previously to uh, Love/Hate, I had done Between the Canals, which was set in the North Inner City, and we'd spent myself and Mark O'Connor had spent months in and around Sheriff Street like auditioning. Um, young people in the youth centre there and, you know, basically just walking around looking for locations and kind of taking in your surroundings. And, you know, I did see a lot of people in that area that, like, I, I took inspiration from for, for Dots, the character. And then when, when Love Hay came along with Fran, it was, a lot of it was there, but I suppose, like, you grow up just looking at people all around Dublin your whole life who are, you know, up to no good, so to speak. And um, And there's also a part of everyone... Growing up, that kind of romanticises about the idea of kind of being able to do or say exactly what they want at any point, you know, and having no fear to anyone else. Like, essentially, bullies. That was a thing that came about, I suppose, near the end of Love I remember the scene where, with the dentist, I remember sitting in the house kind of, it was actually the last day of shooting for season four for my character, and uh, I was sitting on the stairs kind of just in darkness, trying to get in, stay within the, the... the character like and basically about to rip someone, strangle someone to death Um and I remember kind of thinking going to a place that was kind of, oh, Jesus did I just have those thoughts and, and they kind of happen every now and again but I think it's a mixture, I think it's a mixture of Stuart's writing, I think it's a mixture of the other actors and what they're doing and the level they were going to you know each mm. year was kind of progressing and Tom was building Nidge up to an incredible level so you kind of have to rise with it you know each year. So I think it's a mixture of myself, whatever I was witnessing, uh, and that because that, that year in 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 the Northern City with Mark was it was a big, a kind of base for me for for, for both those characters, and I, I think it all came from that.
1: Lenny Abramson, Peter was in a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, he has to move on from Room, and he's long parked that. And I guess when you're acting in something and directing something, you've moved on from it quicker than other people have who only end up seeing it quite a a while after you're finished working on it. How have you found that you've got the... There's a difference for an actor in that you're the face of... One of the faces of the programme and you're recognised as such by the public. How have you managed that transition post-Love Hate? From a professional point of view? like Yeah, well, and even from interactions with the public, people expecting you to play a certain kind of role or to be a certain kind of person even and that not... And and you obviously wanting to enjoy what you did with Love Hate but moving it on.
3: Yeah, well, I I mean, I suppose... After Love Hate, I think the the great thing about Love Hate for me was that it gave me an opportunity to uh, go into theatre and to, you know, with the fact that Love Hate was such a a great success meant that everyone along with it, you know, had a name now. So, like, I could go off and do uh, theatre. I did about two and a half years of theatre just kind of, working with really good scripts, working with really good people, going back to the the initial thing that got me going into acting. So that was for me to prove to myself that I could play parts that necessarily I wouldn't have got a chance to do on film or television mm. at that point. Um, and I suppose it was still quite fresh in people's minds. Uh, in regards to professionally, I think now that I've kind of done a good bit of theatre, I'm going to try and get back and do a bit more film and television. And I mean, obviously, people are still going to go... Like oh yeah, he could play that tough guy, or he could, you know, he could mm. do it, you know. And uh, uh, as long as it's within something that's you really believe in, then that's okay. All right, we've already had a glimpse into
1: the sporting pedigree of our guests this morning. There's plenty more to come. Though, tweet us at Second captain's Drop us a text five one double five one. Up next on Second Captain Sunday, we break down this sporting life of Peter Coonan.
0: He's an Irish business legend and as he celebrates his 80th birthday, read our exclusive
2: interview with Michael Smurfit only in this week's Sunday Business Post. The tycoon talks about Ireland, family and the secret to business success. Plus, how low can sterling go and what does it mean for your business? The Sunday Business Post, independent journalism on Sunday. What happens when sex and morality are regulated by the state? Fortune's Fool Productions presents Measure for Measure, Ireland 1916. A tragic comedy set in the Monto district during Ireland's revolution. Sponsored by the British Council as part of Shakespeare Lives Initiative, it will take place at Dublin Castle from August 4th to 14th and admission is free. Visit fortunesfoolproductions.ie for more information.
1: RTE, supporting the arts. Today from 11 on
2: RTE Radio 1. You must have to have thick skin like a rhinoceros to be in that world. There's a notion out there in the United States, there's one rule for the Clintons and there's one rule for everybody else. I think she said, some people don't know what to make of me. She should have more fulsomely apologised for her past mistakes and said, I've learned from these. Americans buy that and she's really going to need to work on the American people and humanise herself.
0: The Marion Finucane Show on RTE Radio One with Ireland's saving specialists. Rabo Direct, the straight-talking savings bank.
6: RTE Radio
3: One. Second gap and first gap and whatever. Yeah. Ah, Niji! That's a view. See that? About four hundred yards it was. Only I get the put inside. I could have thrown pro i <laughs> That's uh, Peter Coonan
1: <laughs> Showing off his golfing skills there Delighted with himself As Fran and Love hate, sounded like a decent connection actually, Peter
3: Yeah, a lot of people said that They were like First do you, take Do you play golf? It, yeah. There was a couple of takes It was quite funny because they uh, Just cover takes yeah, I mean, just, you nailed it first time After that, it. they were just enjoying watching it
2: <laughs> Such a um, thing of beauty First just one was
3: for you was Lessons just, The next ten were for them We'll yeah.
1: get to Peter's own free, skill set in in just a minute Second happened Sunday here with Owen Murphy and Ken and we have got one of Ireland's all-time sporting legends, Sonia Sullivan on the show a little bit later on. Lots of texts and tweets coming in. Someone wants to know, when was the last time, Peter, that somebody shouted cootaboolage on the oh, street? God. And how annoying is it when it happens?
3: Um, I haven't heard it for a while, but I certainly heard a lot of it over in, uh, at the Euros. Oh, <laughs> but it's quite funny. It could be worse, definitely.
0: Well, I, th- I think the Euros is a kind of a hot housing effect for anything possible that you could say that was annoying it was probably going to get sent to you at the Euros in that particular environment
3: you were there for work purposes as well as being a fan yeah 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 I was there are you with, working on there? we were there with TG Cahar doing a, a documentary uh, about the Irish fans uh, about the journey over and then we kind of did some uh, cultural um, tours of different places truffle hunting and vineyards and oh, okay. wow, pretty. Le Mans and different oh, places like not to give r- it all <laughs> away though. like the rest of the Irish fans a lot of truffle ever, hunting
0: that's it. All, I'm sure yeah
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, Did you
4: uh, formulate any explanation as to why the Irish fans behaved so weirdly? (laughs) (laughs) No,
3: I mean, I was getting phone calls from uh, Kim saying, um, (laughs) this is getting ridiculous at this point, like these saints over there like helping people with everything and anything. I tell you what, it was a marketing ploy of uh, of some degree wasn't it the, mm. the fact that they got all this stuff up on the internet before you know it we were yeah. lauded as the best people in the world
0: yeah no, not alone the best fans but actually just the best nation of people on God's ah come Earth.
3: on we were having fun did you actually find it
4: weird again yeah well, it was weird I mean I've seen Irish people I've seen, I don't know how many tens of thousands of Irish people I've seen them uh, you know walking around the streets of Dublin sometimes in big crowds sometimes with a lot of booze and I've never seen them behave the way that they were behaving in France <laughs> So there was something a little bit strange about it. The,
3: the French had had a, had a tough year. Why not go over and like sing lullabies to their babies? Yeah, climb into a bus. I saw that in Leo. The lad <laughs> jumped up and climbed into a school bus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why not? All is fair.
1: You have already hinted that you were taking your GA quite seriously. If you quit acting for a couple, oh, of years. I mean,
3: no, 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 no. no. Oh, well, hang that, was, that, well. was, that was more in jest. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it. it so, well, would... GA was a big thing for you. You said you went to Clashdown. Yeah, took to the hurling. My father's from Kilkenny, so I would've always like slapped the hurl around, but um never really played it. And then started in I remember the first day we'd train and one of the lads died to Fuita who was loose, a loose hurler. And uh I came out with a, with a helmet and Mosh McShaley was like, oh, Padre, you have to put on the helmet. <laughs> I said, Are you sure? It's like, you know, it's going to blind the vision and all. Like, I like to be <laughs> Charlie Carter doesn't wear one. And uh, anyway, I remember t- <laughs> halfway through training, I got a full hurl to the face. Right. So I was delighted I wore that helmet. <laughs> um, we closed down, we won the Dublin A final uh, in Hurling against uh, St. Declan's. That's pretty good. Did you uh, play? Yeah, I did yeah, yeah. I started a corner, at the top of the right. Score any points? Or? Didn't have a great game. <laughs> Didn't have a Listen, great the game. The team
0: won. I mean, yeah. to be honest, I yeah, mean, yeah, You yeah. should have actually scrubbed that entirely from your memory, as far as you're concerned. If the team won, then everyone had a great game.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was it was it was a powerful day. Uh, our, our our captain had a blinder, was injured, and moved to full forward and scored like two one from full forward. <laughs> and uh, while well injured, he was obviously while you know, injured.
1: What was your own playing style, if not a, if not a high scorer?
3: Yeah, uh, well no I had scored I scored previously on the way up to that. <laughs> <laughs> skill, For the record. Just pure skill. Just mm. pure skill. I know, I just I lefty lefty hurler. But I was able to take my points when I when I when I um when I was given the, the chance opportunity. Presented yeah. itself. I was just a bit daunted, I think, by the day. Really? Yeah. That day I remember like being kinda of going Phew. I just wasn't, I was too excited about the game. There's so much going on in Parnell Park. Parnell
0: Park is a very tight ground as well.
3: I mean, I got better as I got older playing sports That I was more relaxed. But I think just when you're younger, it's just, you're just so happy to get in the team that you yeah, were just like, ah, God, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. Yeah, it was, that, that, was a, that was a great sporting occasion.
1: Have you kept up playing sport as your career has gone from strength to strength?
3: Uh, I have. I had a bit of a doozy when I started Love Hate. I played a game of, I started my first day in season two which was my first day overall and that night I played a game of football with my brother and his mates up in Benildis, a seven side tourney which is called Astro League and I ended up there was a taller guy who you're getting on each other's nerves and uh, I turned him and he just hit his shoulder into my eye and uh, as I got home I realised my eye was kind of swelling up a bit you know the black eye and uh, I was living home at home with the outlet, and he was like Jesus Christ your first professional job. Now you're in the black eye. Surely that can't help you. <laughs> and I was kind of thinking, yeah, maybe. It won't. So I was rubbing ironica. He'd come in into me in the middle of the night, like rubbing my eye with ironica. But I went in the next day and the, the makeup lady was kind of like, what happened to you? And I was like, I was just playing football. And she was like, do you not read your contract? You're not allowed. Really? Yeah, you can't, be playing, you can't be playing sports or doing anything mm. that could injure you. So I haven't really played much in a while. Now, this may uh, just be your way of currying favour ahead of us ranking your
1: sporting credentials, Peter, but I'm told that you share an admiration for one of our favourite sports people, Andy Lee.
3: Yes, indeed. a great boxer. Yes. You've been to see Andy live? Yeah, I was, I've been to see two of his fights, but I've, I've, I've known him for quite a while. Uh, his wife is a uh, very old friend of mine, but yes, obviously followed his career closely. I had the pleasure, well, the pleasure of of seeing him fight in Connecticut against uh, Craig McEwen, which was my first foray into live professional boxing, which was quite a night, as um, <laughs> I'm sure Andy remembers. Uh, but I was up the back, watching it up in the second tier, and I remember kind of halfway through the fight, there was a few New Yorkers who were who were given out, and uh, I kind of moved away from them because I was just like I would have said something, you know, and then I went sat beside these two Boston guys, a father and a son. And I was kind of asking them, it was, it was the, I think it was coming into the ninth round and I was kind of saying to them, how do you think he's getting on, you know? And they were like, he's got to knock him out. He's got to knock him out. <laughs> so I was like, praying, praying, doing whatever you can at that point. And then the knockout. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, we were just going mad. Yeah. But it was quite, it was quite, it's quite emotional when you when when you when you're connected to someone you know and you know them and you're watching them in a fight like that. But just to see how someone does that. And I'll you f- hadn't been to a you hadn't been to a professional fight before. No, no, no. So you're no. going
1: to watch somebody who as you say, you've got it you feel like you have a connection too.
3: Yeah, yeah. It was it was quite an amazing experience, you know. I mean I'm sure Andy remembers it differently being in the ring. It was a tough fight but he came out of it with a victory, which was amazing. Yeah, and delighted to say that we are joined by
1: the former middleweight champion of the world and Ireland's only boxer at the two thousand and four Olympic games in Athens, Andy Lee. Do you realise this is what you put people through in your fights
7: yeah well yeah i often think about it um that's across of my mind being in, when i'm in the ring and i know it's a hard fight i often think like oh especially my wife uh i wonder what she's feeling i've actually thought about that while i've been in the fight it's a dramatic sport and that was a dramatic fight and uh you know i've it's, uh, it's come through in the end but i put everyone through for the first, for the first nine rounds um I remember feeling after the fight quite disappointed because it was my first big opportunity on American TV, and I felt like I didn't perform well and had to really, you know, drag, drag myself back from from defeat and and get a last round knockout. But it's only now, you know, as time passes, that I look back and really appreciate the fight and what I did in the in the ring that night.
1: It's amazing to hear you Andy say that you think of people of your wife and of others outside the ring even as you're fighting Is, that, is, is that, has it always been the case or is this maybe as you get to have more fights and have more years in the ring that you start to think that way
7: um, I don't know um, but like I said it has crossed my mind in a few hard fights which I always seem to be in and uh, I think cause especially with your family and friends you know how much they want it for you as well and they they go through it almost with you. They go through the training camp with you and they know how you're feeling in the lead up to the fight and what you're expecting and how much you want to win. And then when the fight looks like it's not going to go your way, they, they also share in you. So they win when you win and they lose when you lose. So, you know. As much as you're fighting for yourself, you're fighting for them also.
1: Andy, let's talk Olympics because our boxers fight today for the first time. You've been there and you've done that, as I mentioned. The big story worldwide around the team is Michael O'Reilly's failed drug test. He's appealing that result. How much do you reckon this whole thing will have affected the rest of the boxing team, do you think?
7: Um, I think maybe there'll be question about it if, if they're around the media, if they're exposed to the media. So it might cause a distraction that way. But I think... They're all, you know, concentrating on themselves. They're individuals and um, they're young guys too. And I think they just kind of blow it off. I don't think they're too aware of, you know, they're probably in a bubble, so to speak, and that they're not fully aware of what's going on and how big of a deal it is at this time, you know, um, that it's, it's the lead story in all the national news. Um, would they but, not be aware? Would they, surely
1: they would be well aware I'm sure
7: that. they would, but they're so focused. I think they'd be so focused on their job. I don't think, you know, when you're away from home as well, I don't think it would help they wouldn't be feeling the impact that it's had back here at home, you know?
1: Yeah, Paddy Barnes tweeted uh, not long after the news came out the other day. said, Irish boxing in crisis, there's no ginger nut biscuits for tea time tonight. So, <laughs> I think we can kind of see where Paddy's head is at. I'd say he'll be all right there. Yeah. Stephen Donnelly and David yeah. Oliver Joyce are in action today. Either of those guys have a shot at a, at a medal, do you think?
7: Yeah, they, they seem to have two fights. Donnelly fights Algerian and Joyce against the box from the Shea Shell. So, mm. Traditionally, you'd, you'd fancy Irish boxers to beat countries from, boxers from those countries. But um, Donnie could be a dark horse, you know. He's gone, he's gone under the radio and doesn't have the profile of some of the other boxers like and or Barnes or Joe Ward. Um, but he's a good operator. He's a supremely conditioned boxer, a very dedicated guy. So he's one who could who could be a dark horse from Redland. David Oliver-Joyce, you know, he's been there for years trying, and it was a real... Um, one of the feel-good stories when he qualified for Olympics because he'd been trying for so long, you know, for so many years and even for a few years where he wasn't senior champion to come back and to qualify. So um, I think qualifying for him was his goal, you know, and I think if he wins a few fights and uh, gets close to the medal, that would be a great achievement for him.
1: Katie has to wait a while to fight in the women's, but can I ask you overall, I was going to ask how many medals do you think Arden will win? Let's be positive about this, Andy. How many gold medals are the Irish boxers going to take home?
7: gold medals yeah. they have a good chance of three I reckon I, possi- well they have a good chance of three and it just depends Joe Ward would be a f- amongst the favourites like Conlon and Band and Taylor but there is a very good Cuban in his way who's beaten before and who would be very tough to get by you know he's he's kind of one of these special Cubans who comes along every now and then and could want you know to be a multiple Olympic uh, gold medal winner this Cuban and light Hathaway but we could get three if... I, I think we could get three. You know, it'd be you know, an <laughs> unbelievable result. So, and the fact they are even talking about getting three when in 2004, I was the only one just to qualify. Never mind, you know, a figure for a medal. And now we're talking about three gold medals, possibly. Um, it just shows how far Irish boxing has come under the high performance.
1: All right, listen, Andy Lee, brilliant to talk to you as always. Thanks so much. Yeah,
7: thanks for having me on. and uh, really enjoying the radio show. So, keep it long, may continue.
1: All oh, right, I like the positivity there. 3 We'll take three gold medals in the boxing, I think. Well, ah,
0: well I, mean, I, I, I And no
1: more massive scandals uh, I'm sorry. Well, in I'm the, the Olympics. I'm the gambler the says,
0: job. you know, Andy reckons we can get four. So, you know, four, one, four I, I'm goals. not taking the three. If you're offering me the three, I'm saying, no, we can get
1: mm-hmm. four. So, Massive failure if they don't take four <laughs> <laughs> Go, gold have, medals. Just have there, a look right? at our Olympic
0: history. You know I mean, I think four is the yeah, absolute Yeah, four is we
1: reasonable for us to expect. Yeah. Murphy, you may not know this, but you've got the power to destroy the BBC's coverage of the Olympics today. Well, wow. Gabby Logan is somewhere in Rio, hunched over a radio, listening to this segment, probably with, I don't know, Steve Redgrave or Matthew Pinson or someone like that. They're all in there. They're all listening. If she loses her title, I don't see how she can go and do her job today, to be honest with you. Will you please rank this sporting life of Peter Kuhner?
3: You
2: don't understand. I could have had class.
3: We don't have stars in this game, Mr. Weaver.
2: What do you have then?
3: People like me I could have been a contender... Could have been somebody
0: So we have uh, Gabby Logan on top Of the This Sporting Life uh, Leaderboard With 88 points David O'Doherty Is in second place With 85 points Last week's guest uh, Des Bishop Was absolutely disgusted With his 77 points (laughs) And Lenny Ibramson Is last On 70 points So Film folk good Comedians better (laughs) Sports broadcasters and
1: actual Commonwealth Games athletes, best. Lenny was pretty delighted with a seventy. I must he say, was actually, yeah. I mean,
0: that's not a the lot harder than as yeah it's not the up. sporting mentality we were really <laughs> looking for, quite frankly. But uh, uh, first up, the sporting highlight of your career, Peter, which just has to be that Dublin Schools Hurling Championship won with Collochydon back in the day in Parnell Park. Now, your school days are the best days of your life, said a man who had a pretty unfulfilling last <laughs> three quarters of his. life. <laughs> and uh, they certainly provided you with your defining sports moment. So I'm going to give you eighty-two points for that. Nothing nice. wrong with that. That. Nice Despite
1: your non-performance In the final Yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah yeah. I shouldn't have said
3: anything <laughs> And I should have said About the kick-up competition
1: Yeah listen You could have got away With all sorts here
0: yeah,
3: But anyway We admire any you Time honestly. is marching on uh, Current sporting ability
0: You've still got it I don't think there's any doubt About that You're 32 You're in your 5 aside astro prime But your refusal To play any sports whatsoever To protect your face Your beautiful face <laughs> <laughs> The money The money maker As you like <laughs> to call it uh, Is not befitting Of Ireland's greatest ever Non-sports person Sports person So I'm sorry it's going to have to be just 60 points for that. 60? Yeah. For you, my Caritas. now but I can't play
3: now. Yeah, you're yeah, not you playing minus so minus points is for Caritas, <laughs> I think 60 generous. We go right so. to the field and hit a few points
0: for like <laughs> <laughs> free no, kicks. I'm sorry, the the algorithm has spoken. Yeah. And uh, finally, your overall sports knowledge which I think you've demonstrated here today to be pretty impressive. We barely even mentioned your long-standing devotion to Liverpool Football Club, the Dubs, and you spent all that time with the Irish fans at Euro 2016. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give you 81 points for that as well. So if you'll just allow me a moment here, yeah, carry the Yes, yeah, yeah. That is 71 points percent Peter, what I will say is that if you finally recover your courage and get back out there, then uh, you're still a young man. There's major scope for improvement here. <laughs> so it's it's 71%, but it could do better. It could do better.
3: It's all because I'm not playing at the moment. God. Yeah, I know. If you look at the figures, I mean, it's quite clear. What did, I, I can't I believe Fran's golf drive didn't. Didn't make it. No, wasn't well, even that was a, a mark. Sweet on drive. There. That is true, actually. That yeah. was a sweet drive. <laughs> I'll be outside your offices kicking them all against the wall. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> yeah, well.
0: <laughs> you've got to prove yourself to me, Peter. That's the, that's the main thing here we, that we've taken. <laughs>
1: Listen, you've been absolutely brilliant. Uh, let's give him a round of applause, please. Peter Coonan! <laughs> How soon is now there by the Smiths on Second Captain Sunday this morning. Text in 51551 and people are disgusted with you, Ken. What? Irish fans behaving weirdly. You should be ashamed of yourself, Ken Early, says Linda. Did Ken want us to be thugs at the Euros nonsense?
4: Uh, <laughs> weird maybe was, was the wrong word. Uncharacteristic. <laughs> Irish fans behaving uncharacteristically was uh, not, not uncharacteristically for Irish fans, but for Irish people, uh, I would say. I'd say we're a nice we're a nice bunch of lads and ladies and we behave
1: as such at the Euros This just in we're a great bunch of lads I'm with the public on this against Ken's uh, Mm. controversial view here Murph what time are those boxers out today?
0: Uh, Stephen Donnelly uh, in the ring at 4.15 David Oliver Joyce is fighting at half nine those times come with a bit of a a warning because they were often uh, running either a little late or a little early. But yeah, have 4.15 and half
1: 9. What else are we looking at for Irish competitor-wise?
0: Uh, yeah, Ellis O'Reilly is up to the gymnastics qualifiers a quarter to, t- uh, quarter to two today. Our three-day eventers are in action from two o'clock. Uh, Men's and women's lightweight double skulls day I know you call it Sunday That's what I prefer to call it Uh, Both in the water soon after 3pm So we've uh, two sets of roars in after 3pm Soon after 6 o'clock Fiona Doyle and Shane Ryan are in the pool In the women's 100 metres breaststroke And men's 100 metres backstroke uh, heats And the Irish hockey team play the Netherlands at 10 o'clock After their 3-2 defeat to India yesterday Yeah, nice easy start for the hockey team They had
1: to play that's twice in 24 teams. hours yeah, against. against two of the best teams in the world so it's <laughs> tricky enough but let's check in with a woman who's experienced pretty much every Olympics related emotion that it's possible to experience Sonia Sullivan how are you excited
6: um, I was going to say good evening but uh, good morning <laughs>
1: <laughs> you competed in four Olympic games obviously you were the chef de mission in London last time around are you, uh, are you happy enough to watch this one from a distance
6: uh yes this this will be my second time kind of doing a similar thing. Uh I watched Beijing from a distance as well in um from the RTÉ studios mm. but this one is slightly different in that I'm I'm starting watching it in Australia and um then I'm going to move over and I'll be up in Donnybrook um, next next Friday for the athletics.
1: Ah, perfect. Still yeah, looking forward to that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've still got a few days of waiting around the track and field athletes. With Paddy Barnes, we saw him carrying the flag the other night. You had that honour in Sydney. And it, it, I mean, it is obviously an honour, but there seems to be a few complications that we wouldn't necessarily think about. A lot of standing around, not really ideal preparation. And in your case, I think it was even tricky to pick the right uniform for the occasion.
6: Um... Yeah, well, it wasn't tricky. It was, <laughs> you know, you pick the best one, don't you? <laughs> when, when you see two lion there, you go for the best one. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think once, I mean, I suppose for me, I, I've walked in the parade twice at the opening ceremony and once was in Sydney. And um, it was always very difficult to do it when, when you were competing because the athletics being the second week and generally you're kind of not really close to the action that first week, because you you don't want to be in the village too soon. Um, but you know, having the honour to carry the flag in Sydney, I definitely made a point of going along and and being there. Um, but we also did have a little house in Sydney, so we I didn't have to stay in the village the whole time um, for the week before I actually.